South African-based Colin Skelton is a cultural creative. He and Yunjan Chai are both trainers working for the Design Thinkers Academy. Colin had the opportunity to come to the Netherlands and the two of them met each other. While Yunjan unleashes playful minds, moods and behaviors in her training, Colin applies embodiment, story capturing and going slow to support people learning in a more effective way. Two highly skilled facilitators exchange their experiences, share their views on learning and making change for people. We both work as facilitators, facilitating people in their, first of all, journey, mm. the moment we share together. Mm. Perhaps in that moment they are learning mm. <laughs> or they are unlearning, also good. Um, but we we both do help people from our own point of view mm. or, or based on our own uh, expertise. Your cookie fell. No. <laughs> or was that your experience? <laughs> that was light experience that <laughs> fell on the ground. <laughs> so, um, um well, you know me. I come from uh, from the 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 world of of play, mm -hmm. uh, which which has so many elements, and we can elaborate on that. And you come from the the space, mm. the theater, um, and gladly I I participated last week in your performance of the TED Talk, where you shared more with with the audience about inner voice, the theater, yacht theater. Um, we both shared the mass space. Mm. And I have the impression that we both think we serve people by working in that way or sharing our, uh, not thoughts, but really experience with them mm. and sometimes crafting this virtual is it a mental space where they can enter so those are pretty a lot mm. of topics that we can yeah. touch um i'm open to to flow flowing or flying around <clears throat> and um um i think we have a special um view on on how to help people when they are learning and let's uh, get it out of our systems Hmm. I shared with um, the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I I kind of view, if I ask myself, what is my role as a facilitator? Um, I feel like my, my role and also my intention is to somehow take people along on a journey and to create an experience that in some way inspires them, opens up new insights, but is memorable as well. Um, and this comes from very specifically the, the kinds of theater training methods and ways of working, particularly from the Russian methodologies. Um, and where they, they make it as, there's a, not such a clear distinction between a director and a facilitator, where the director's role is to facilitate the, um, the autonomy and the creative process of the performer, of the actor, and, and, and also the development and growth of the performer in their instrument, their body, but also in their, their uh, sort of creative interpretation of the text or the, the content or, or the work that they're addressing in their performance creation, in their theatre making. And we would be taken on these incredible journeys, an hour, two hours, sometimes three hours, where there were some set tasks or, or it was just facilitating the moment um, of explorations of the body, movement in space, um, interacting with others in silence or just in physicality um, or um, sometimes interrogating text. And but it was all kind of wrapped up in this, this in an experience, what felt like an experience coming out of it, um, as opposed to some dictator, well, dictator, a director with a dictatorial <laughs> um, posture, sort of deciding he has to decide what happens and when it happens and 
not able to give away autonomy to the performer. So when I started working in the coming from the theater into uh, well, first I would work. I love this idea of working with as a director, working with performers and and facilitating an experience for them, a journey where it was um, where there was a, a something that really spoke to them on a, on a deep level, and they would come out going, "Wow, that was cool. That was like going on a fun ride, or that was going on a traveling to another country, or." Or experiencing visiting somewhere where they've never been before, or and that from having those experiences myself, I was really inspired to somehow let that be a in some way a, a guide and a and a and a direction that I wanted to bring facilitation work into the applied space. Having said that, I learned very quickly that the type of work and ways we were working in the theatre were not always conducive for these journeys of experience in the applied context or in corporates or NGOs or community mm. development. And mm-hmm. um, so it's, it was realigning and recalibrating it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you are explaining it to me and I, I heard you, you know, talking about, um, about this part of your life and, 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 and it's really lovely to, to hear it again and, and picture it in my, in my mind. Um, it it gives me the feeling that between the director and the performer, uh, there's a strong connection uh, in in uh, terms of uh, trust and 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 searching and not knowing, and, and to me it, it it appeals to me. I I love that very much, and I I am wondering what. Is then the role of the audience. So in my, you know, in my mind, in this picture, I see two persons working, but somehow I am, I'm, I'm sitting in the audience watching two persons working, and that's a picture that's so different from oh yeah, you know, go to a theater play, uh, I dress up and uh, being with Hank, you know, sitting in the audience and watching a play. So that's a totally different picture. Mm. How 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 could or should I connect these two? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, some some uh, uh, theater directors would want to impose in theater making. You're speaking about right. Yeah. Some theater directors want to impose their agenda on the way the performance is created and molded, and would would you know unintentionally take away the autonomy of the of the actor or the performer by telling them what it, what to do. And when they come across something that works for them, they go, "Cool, do it like that. Do it this way." And, they do it one hundred times, and they do the same thing a hundred times. <laughs> and what the what that is at the risk of being able to produce something organic and evolving that's responding to the audience. And so another approach is to is to not get stuck and caught up on this worked really well, but let's be responsive, and let's kind of uh, be be sensitive to the audience. When you walk on stage, what does that feel like? Who's in the audience? What is the mood that is that you can connect to and sense and feel and allow that to influence the way that you are interpreting the text, the way that you are engaging with the fellow performers on the stage at any moment? And those changes and differences can be subtle and with nuances. It doesn't have to be a whole new performance. But that internal posturing, the internal interpretation relationship with, with the work that's being done and with each other on stage is being influenced by the audience and it becomes a collaboration of something that's emerging organically. That's the kind of theater that, I really love to to explore and experience, and there are many uh, there are many amazing theatre makers and performers and ways of working around the world that do that and are, are very familiar with that principle. It's certainly not unique to the Russian methodology, but often really bad theatre is kind of stuck in time and rigid and fixed, and and there hasn't among the cast. I wouldn't say ensemble because that implies a longer collaborative kind of team of people working but the often the cast are not connected to themselves and they're not connected to each other um, in a way that's conducive for that way of working mm. on the other hand a, a cast and a group of performers who are working together can find an amazing click and become really really close um, and can respond to each other in organic ways that they're not even aware of and something magical happens all the time mm. 
And of course, we show up in performances as human beings uh, with what's going on in the world. And we, we, you know, sometimes you put that aside and you, you, you get into the zone you need to, but you are influenced in subtle ways by, by the world around you and by your own life. And, and I, I don't think that putting that aside and forgetting about it is as, as interesting or um, as much of an opportunity as bringing that worth into the performance and allowing it to feed into the creative interpretation mm. of the moment. Mm. Yeah, it, so I do have 1,000 questions in my mind, but let me start with number one, okay? <laughs> if, <laughs> if you don't feel connected with yourself and you would, you know, go on stage, uh, what, what would I see as the audience or the viewer? Well, I, I guess we should clarify what connected with yourself means mm -hmm. in that context. And I think part of the the work and the training of a performer and an actor is to is to have a a sharp instrument, which is one's body, and to be able to be receptive to and sensitive to the inner cues, the cues inside the body, the way that we that your breath responds to someone else on stage or the the way that your your physical posture is responding to you, the way you feel on stage and and then to make adjustments appropriately and but to be connected to your breath um to be grounded to be centered to be present and being not being connected to yourself may mean being stuck in the head um which which can be interpreted through a, a perceptible lack of balance in the body or or just uh, you know it's a general lack of wow there's there's something this person has a bit of gravitas there's something that's really appealing um and you know sometimes these subtle cues these subtle things that pull us into performance or something that we see on the street that that catches your attention and there's n it's not clear what it is but there's something about that person who's sitting on the street that's not doing anything, but I just can't keep my eyes off them, mm. or I'm mm -hmm. drawn to them. I'm drawn to their presence for some reason, something or mm -hmm. another. Yeah, and and th that I guess is 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 uh, what happens when there's a strong, grounded, centered mm -hmm. body on stage. Is that the audience is naturally pulled towards towards them? The attention is pulled to them. There's something compelling about. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. If, and definitely if you compare it with a situation that, uh, for instance, uh, we are having a coffee and just staring outside of the window, uh, people's, people walk on the street, uh, but still your eye is stuck with one person, actually. Yeah. And we don't know why our eye is, is, is following that person for as long as it is possible uh, and not another person mm, so exactly. our eye has made our eye or perhaps our body resonated with something that was going on over there yeah mm. that's interesting that you, you should bring it up in that way that's like you know theater is reflection on life and and life is theater mm. and so everything rec really can be seen from the perspective of performance or the lens of performance mm -hmm. mm. in a way if you're sitting on a, in a cafe looking at someone walking past mm -hmm. essentially you're in the audience and and they're on the stage yeah um, I, I like that analogy <laughs> yeah i like it too let me take a zip of my tea <laughs> because you you just mentioned you know how to how well i'm i'm not sure, sure whether you said how to apply or what is the connection uh with uh, a business context um or organizations mm. and to me it's super 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 clear mm. super clear that um you know when we work together in and uh, you know in my examples uh large organizations many people together uh supposedly uh trying to achieve one one goal one mission uh dealing with um very diverse teams um uh you know how to uh how to how to get this whole bunch together and and 
make one performance actually mm. so to me it sounds um the the, the metaphor is working more than 100 percent mm. um uh, and when i think back of those times um working in teams of 25 persons but then in a huge organization of of, of more than 10,000 persons um <clears throat> Um, every day is, is, is every day, every morning, if, every afternoon, even every meeting is a new theater performance with a director in the room or outside the room and performers are trying to cooperate. Mm. Some of them in the room were the viewers some rooms did not have viewers mm. <laughs> and we were trying to make a good or prepare a good performance. Mm. So using the lens that you just offered me and, you know, mm. me looking back, uh, I know I made a lot of jokes at home, you know, describing these, these meetings. Uh, I also, uh, um, started to to discover how to describe it in terms of of a performance, not knowing you by then, huh? mm. not knowing you. So only you know in in this in these two years that we met, uh, um, I uh, yeah actually I should say I really like it that I met you. <laughs> Me too. When I in in the past uh, um, talked about the inner theater, and uh, the, I so I, I'm not a psychologist, but I did read some books that made sense to me. So when we know how we show up in our own in our theater mm. and we practiced on the stage of our own theater, mm. uh, perhaps we gain confidence in our performance. We know how we want to use our voice. And I don't mean the literal words yet, mm. but really um, elements of who am I, who, who am I? Putting that in mm. voice, in in the body language, showing up, and by having that sort of confidence, being able to touch and move people to come along and, in my case, play mm. <laughs> or work efficiently and mm. effectively. <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah. It's you know as. If we're using an analogy of performance, yeah. if we were showing up with with uh, fellow actors, yeah. with delegates, um, we as facilitators do have a responsibility to mm. keep our instrument sharp, mm -hmm. to keep our own, uh, keep developing ourselves and our own um, inner inner capabilities to keep uh, remaining sensitive and to keep growing. Of course, well, I would hope that most facilitators would would hold that intention and hold the learner mindset and to keep developing themselves and going deeper and deeper into their own inner wisdom and understanding and and then you know building on the experience of as they they keep working with other people i think that there's an opportunity in organizational context that often we don't have in, in western theater and th where the opportunity to work on a long-term basis with your fellow actors with your mm -hmm. teams Often in theatre in the West now, they break down of the ensemble, mm -hmm. and a group of performers will get together and work on a play or a performance by for two or three months by contract, <laughs> and they might form a very strong, cohesive, collaborative element there. Then they'll break away and move on after performance and go and join other uh, um, temporary ensembles. But the opportunity to develop, and I guess this feeds into organisational cultural development, to develop uh, together a collaborative. Um, dynamic that works um, for that specific and particular and unique constellation of individuals and align that with 
the uh, you know the mandate with the intentions of the organization. But this also then depends on. Wait, what what are you what are you exactly saying? Um, are you saying that um, the the time that we spend together in companies um, are too short, are not nurturing the relationship mm -hmm. to I'm evolve? Sa I'm saying the opportunity is the opposite. Mm -hmm. is that if the analogy of performances is a project. So we've mm -hmm. got a project, we've got a particular client we're working with, that's a mm -hmm. performance that we're working together mm -hmm. towards to to serve, to to meet the project, project objectives. The way that we collaborate and the way we work together is um, preparation for the performance. Um, and in this collaboration, when the project is over, the teams don't separate. We still work with mm -hmm. the same people in, towards another project. So the opportunity to develop um, effective ways of working together as an ensemble would, ensemble being a, a long-term yeah. um, team of performers and actors working together, is there. So then it raises questions around what, yeah. what uh, organizational culture is being fostered from leadership and what, um, you know, what kind of allowances or freedom yeah. is there in place for people in an organization to start molding and growing this culture from within, not from the top down. Yeah. Um, you know what? The way how you described it now, you are talking about the crew of the Wednesday Web Jam. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. That's, I mean, that's a lovely example of, uh, of an ensemble. Yeah. You, you know, the Wednesday Web Jam crew has remained largely the same people. There's been a few extra people that have come in along the way. Um, but my impression of the Wednesday Way Jam, having having had the opportunity to kind of work with you guys every now and again, is that it's an ensemble-based project where everyone is respectful of each other's strengths and try and draw on each other to support each other to create something that otherwise wouldn't have been able, would have been possible without the individual parts. Hmm. You know, the sum of the parts is always greater than the individual yeah. parts. Yeah. And, and that's a long-term, the long-term objective, the long-term uh, potential for that type of collaboration is is amazing. Lots of creativity that can come out, the the trust that's fostered. Yeah. Um, the, what I... Um, what I what I do not want to um, so I don't want to make the impression there's that up front we knew what we were doing, and uh, that is why to me it is an intriguing question that I have not shared with many actually, um, and um, you know just to explain to Andre the Wednesday. WebJam is a, uh, a living learning lab online and um, the crew members found each other online and and created uh, stuff, let's say stuff hmm. first. Creative stuff. <laughs> Experimental creative stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. And um, there were people to, 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 to join us and, 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 and come every Wednesday and joining was not sitting back and uh, um, uh, 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 sipping it, drinking it and consuming it, but really, really participating. So there suddenly this word of co-creation comes up. But even then, you know, because there were so many edges and, and glitches, um, uh, co-creation sounds too beautiful for what it was. Eh? It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad at all. But the, these edges and scratches in in the the show we had, they they should be there because uh, uh, um, although we prepared, we were open to stuff that could happen during the the show, making a scratch, making a, a glitch, mm. um, and and we said, you know, we said out loud, we don't do perfect, mm. which is a very important hashtag now, very important sentence. And um, in those days, it was so uh, un, it 
what clear was that we would do it every Wednesday. What clear was uh, who was available to put effort in it would do put effort in it, mm. and um, not not for money. Yeah. Um, not that we didn't try to get a business model, but it just didn't work out that way. So okay, mm. fine, fine for now. And then the crew uh, grew, people joined. So we we have become a group of 12, 13 persons. Mm. And uh, regularly we do have the question what to structureize, what is the process, how do we make decisions then, um, uh, who has authority. You, you know, these nearly, uh, sometimes I think, oh, what a stupid questions to 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 give energy to. I do understand some of us need it because we are a diverse team, but I guess I can't I can't find the answer to it. And now you know, sitting here together with you, um, yeah, feeling that the the comparison, the metaphor of an ensemble, mm. uh, could work actually gives gives air and space. Mm. I, I'm I'm aware that to talk about creating air and space mm. for ensemble conditions in an organization context is a little bit idealistic from the point of view of the reality of time constraints and budget constraints and mandates and uh, performance indicators and making sure that we have to achieve certain certain projects by certain time frames and and this puts restrictions and restraints on that creative potential and capabilities within organizations. Um, and of course, that doesn't mean that that idealistic uh, uh, that 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 as a way of working isn't something that should be should be uh, uh, strive for um, and wouldn't support uh, a creative project within those constraints. Um, what I would add on on top of this some some like to strive for for this idealistic image eh? and i go one step back at least know of it so be aware that such a metaphor mm. could work uh, in your team in your organization and especially when we started this conversation and Andre said, you know, it would be so nice if people would feel it. Now you and I are talking mm. rationally, but if you could feel how it is to be in an ens ensemble, working together, then I would say, yeah, if you remember that feeling, do strive for that feeling. Yeah. I think that's that's really important. Um, we can talk about being creative. We can talk about working together collaboratively. We can talk about feeling connected, but being connected doesn't come out of talking about it. No. It comes out of the experience of being connected. And so, how do we how do we experience and feel things? Well, we we have to be exposed to certain experiences. We we need to. Um, collaborate and engage with each other in ways that perhaps are not familiar or not normal um, in order for these deeper connections to be made and deeper insights. And 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 there's, it's often that way of working, perhaps even experimenting a bit, um, um, starting from, from scratch, not knowing what to do, as you suggested not being caught up or we know what we need to do we know what the problem is the challenge we know how we're going to get there but rather just starting from a blank page and going look we'll figure it out as we go along um we we we're gonna make this project together we're gonna in the analogy of theater we're gonna theater making tradition we're gonna create this performance together and that can seem quite idealistic um but there are certain conditions that are required for that way of working to be not only successful but for it to be to to work at all um and and the one is a mandate from from the leaders of an organization the one is a physical space because the space is really important how are you going to to work what are the environment that you're working in 
what are the kind of rules and conditions are if it's just a drab, dull office room with lots of tables in the middle and chairs around and everyone's going to sit and we're going to talk about about feeling stuff. We're just sitting and staying in our head and staying in a physical posture that's conducive to thinking lots of uh, amazing thoughts. But <laughs> So from a theatre perspective, if we're using a theatre analogy, um, I think it's really important that we in some way include our bodies in the, the in the conversation and bring our bodies all that we are and carry in our bodies into the creative process. I think that's a big opportunity in organizations that often is not met, is perhaps not understood. Um, but certainly uh, I think would be a, a wonderful way to start tapping into those potentials for a team of people to experience each other in deeper ways that would certainly uh, bring up more creativity and allow a, a deeper resonance with each other, but also with the work that needs to be done. If we're still using a theater analogy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I know we, you, you, we both work in design thinking mm. and within that uh, human-centered approach to innovation, which uh, and in that context of thriving on diversity and multiple perspectives and multidisciplinary way of working, um, there's a that's essentially what a what a theatre performance is. Mm -hmm. These are all these diverse roles that that are required and inputs that are required to stage a mm -hmm. a beautiful performance that that resonates with everyone that they love. And so the so you know. Um, while you are talking, I am. I'm also thinking. So I hear two voices actually. <laughs> hello. <laughs> At least. Hello. 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 Yeah. Hello. yeah. <laughs> shut up, Nunia. Shut up. Shut up now. <laughs> um, the 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 funny thing is, in organizations, we love to follow and attend trainings and and getting knowledge on changing perspectives for example we love to use you know bono hats hats of bono uh and and uh you know we use color to uh to describe different types of persons we you know we have all these mm. models to analyze people um Put them in boxes. Put them so. in boxes, yeah. Giving them a role or, mm. or, or saying this is your responsibility, so carry it. You know, literally, mm. literally like carry it, you mm. know, under your arm. Take it with you. It's yours. <clears throat> no, you're not going to share that with anybody else. Mm. <laughs> um, so we do have these, um, what's the right word for it? Uh, objects or labels. Mm. The context is not there. So I have the impression that, yeah, in an organization we can analyze our processes using all these models and objects, but we forgot where we are standing. We think we are standing in an organization and we are a, uh, you know, a super organization that creates beautiful services and, 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 and products for our clients. But we're not standing up and really standing on a stage to make the performance. So the objects by themselves are lifeless things. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're speaking to the ever-evolving landscape of yeah. organizational culture and mm. the need for constant re-evaluation of, of the purpose and the why. Mm. And... And how do we align that with an ever-changing world, the external environment, the external context? And, mm. um, you know, the pandemic being a great example of how suddenly um, organizations had to start really thinking, how do they, how do they fit into this new um, uncertain present and future? And, you know, how does the work that they're doing align with the changing and evolving needs of the, of the customers and, and citizens? And if organizations do not have an agile, flexible, responsive, organic, um, flexible uh, 
culture existing, then it's going to be really difficult to to make those changes. It'll be like like a stale piece of bread. You try and bend it, and it's just brittle, and it cracks and breaks, and the crumbs fall everywhere. So that's why I like rice. Yeah, <laughs> rice, <laughs> rice cakes. Right? Crack those things; it crumbs everywhere. Yeah, I, I think I think it also speaks to to allowing people to yes put them in a box and they're psychometrics and it's useful to allow people to orient themselves with their teammates and and to sort of understand what approach will be will be uh, perhaps more effective and productive in in the way I engage yeah. with other people yeah. but it also potentially restricts us from um, first of all allowing ourselves to explore other yeah. aspects of ourselves but also to allowing someone else to be not only what we've uh, d- determined the label that we've been given mm. they've been given and and in that sort of freedom i think is a potential for mm. profound uh discoveries and exploration and personal development and growth um and then on the other side is the organization has to has to meet their objectives and purpose and you know maybe money's the bottom line and 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 and, it, and often that's the problem but a company also, in order to survive, has to reach certain mm-hmm. goals and objectives, and it's it, you know you you can't you can't be like allowing this organization culture to freely and, and develop no. on its own. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. There's certain there's certain structures and forms that can facilitate this mm. the flow of of an organization. Mm-hmm. You know, directing the directing the energy to mm. create the form. Yeah. To a point where the form starts, starts uh, directing the energy. Last night uh, we were in in Amsterdam because um, you did a presentation on um, the body as a tool, and um, you talked about. Um, many more topics related to it and uh, one of them finally stuck with me <laughs> finally stuck <laughs> yeah. finally something sticks <laughs> and uh, that is the carrier bag the carrier bag um, but I need a little bridge to go there uh, you know what if money is the bottom line? I do remember the conversations we had, you know, in the crew where we were talking about uh, our living learning lab and trying to trying to uh, uh, put a certain business model underneath it. Like, you know, is money playing a big role and, and what is what is the role? Um uh, and uh, by raising the question, a lot of ideas actually came up. Uh, and you could say, okay, talking about it is not the same as, as really doing it. So that is that is fine. And um, taking a bit of distance between then and now, I realized that is one of the stories that should be told as well. You cannot, you know, I, I should not, I should not say, okay, that's a story we shouldn't, uh, that's a conversation we shouldn't have because it's not, it's not ending and it's not, not, you know, leading to, to a, a certain point as if I want to, you know, delete and, and throw the story in a, in a bin. But actually I realize now it's, no, it's a story that has to be there as well. And it's okay that it's, it's still there to collect and to to put it in my uh, in my carrier bag. Hmm. I hope I I understood you in 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 the concept of the carrier bag. Um, I just want to ask the, the story that you're talking about now. Hmm. Um, just just uh, explain that again. When you I know you're referring to the carrier bag, and we can talk about that now. But I just want to make sure I mm. understand the story that you're referring to. <laughs> that stuck <laughs> like with going, me. <laughs> Well, <laughs> um, last night you explained uh, the hero's journey as a concept, you could say a model that a lot of us do know. And um, you added to it before 
the hero's journey. Before this model, there is actually mm. something else uh, bubbling in the unknown or bubbling in our body, in our yeah. experience. In, the story in that lives. came before the hero's journey. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And um, uh, so to me, it became clear uh, there is something else you need to collect or, or you can collect, perhaps not need to collect. Uh, and we have been talking about this uh, already for quite uh, uh, a while. And, and it is nice because it, it, it has made me think about it also. So realizing um, uh, on a per very personal level that it is totally okay to collect these little uh, bits and pieces that are uh, not polished, uh, that have, you know, sharp edges and just collect them um, uh, even, you know, uh, sentences mm -hmm. without context or a sound or a picture, but do collect them. And uh, if you really, really like them, put them in your bag. Mm. Yeah. And so so that's how I interpreted, yeah. you know, your explanation of carrier bag making sense to me. Uh, and now I'm showing you, you know, something out of my bag. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, it certainly was my interpretation of Ursula Le Guin's <laughs> book, a little novel called The Carry Bag Theory of Fiction. And um, it says before the, before the tool that took energy or carried energy outward, there was a tool that brought energy home. Yeah. And the carrier bag theory of fiction um, is the story, the life story, the gathering story, the nurturing story that happens before and enables the hero's journey. And I think that this, uh, so the carry bag theory of fiction is, a, is, is about the collecting, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. and about the, the interactions that happen on micro levels that don't necessarily have heroes and, and major conflicts, um, which would, would require some kind of response of uh, mm. dominance and, and, to create the spear or the arrow to, to overcome the conflict, there's, but it's the carry bag is a is a collecting of the small fragmented parts, the little bits of seeds and fruits that nourish the ability and the capacity to then create these hero's journeys. And if this, you and want to, if you want to create if, a hero's journey, if you journey. if you want to, yeah, I, I love the analogy of a bow and arrow. So in the bow and arrow analogy, the arrow is the hero's journey story the arrow are the marketing materials the arrow are the the uh, the branding materials the arrow is the sales pitch the arrow is the the stories that we tell to try and win over our clients the arrow are the now this is what we're going to do for you this is the this is the value we're going to provide for you and whereas the carrier bag is the bow and this is the careful crafting to create this bow that's balanced creating a bow that feels good in the hand a bow that's going to you know, hold the arrow. Of course, the arrow is part of the crafting as well. And without a, a decent bow, without crafting this with intention, um, with skill, with precision, um, maybe failing a bit now and again and reconstructing it, that arrow that we eventually shoot is not going to go very far or it's not going to be very accurate. And so if we don't craft a, a beautiful bow, a bow that is co-created by everyone, um, the arrow, the hero's journey that story that we eventually shoot out mm -hmm. into the world is 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 going to fall far from where we we aim. And so this kind of I know this is a bit of a juxtaposition of metaphors, but the the carry the bow in many ways is like the carrier bag. It's a collection of all our intentions and our inputs and our crafts and our skills. <laughs> the reason why I smile, mm -hmm. I did hear you say this last night, but it just didn't land. Did I land. talk about the bow? Oh, did I talk about the bow and arrow? You did. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> Great, because I was morning. I thought oh, I should have talked about the bow and arrow. <laughs> you did. <laughs> mm. Yes, you did. You did. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think the that uh, I mean maybe to come back to facilitating, the role of a facilitator is to enable enable the 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 bow crafting workshop to happen. E enable a. Um, enable delegates to 
not focus on the outputs or the outcomes too quickly, but to to provide a space a, that's conducive, a safe space, a physical space that inspires, um, a, a mood, um, a, a creative atmosphere, but you know, loose and playful, but still guided and and held and structured in a way that that uh, gently leads people into an experiential process that enables them to experience parts of themselves they haven't necessarily met before, take them to their edges of comfort, but mm. not into the space of overwhelm. Um, and and in this way, we're gathering possibilities, insights from each other, and internally, we're aligning this with the uh, the context within which we need to work with intentions and the mandates and the objectives that we've been set with. And we're trying to figure out how can we consolidate this? How can we craft a bow that will eventually support our, uh, yeah. our, um, the arrow that we shoot out into the yeah. world? And I think we, as facilitators, have the opportunity and responsibility to, to, to uh, not jump the gun and not go to output straight away. Hmm. I think there's a... Um, and naturally, that way of working with that intention, that mindset of theater making as it may, will feed into, it has to, into an organizational, uh, the cultural development. You know, culture is obviously often defined by not principles and values that are written on a board. It's, it's, it's measured and defined by what people do. Behaviors that are repur- occur repeatedly within an organization the manner in which people engage with each other, the manner in which collaboration happens. And and I think that's the, the carrier bag is quite an inspiring place to to um to set a a uh, foundation for creative and productive and effective ways of working. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I very much agree with you, and I put uh, this in my carrier bag as well. Uh, and, and, you know, the bag nicely becoming heavier. Um, and why why do I say that? Is sometimes I, I feel that people are uh, searching for the one and only explanation, the one and only solution, the one and only perfect answer. And having uh, the carry bag with me, um, I, I nearly feel it as a responsibility to show them contrast or contradictions. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, holding a space for them to search again for even a better answer, multiple answers. You know, so the bag for me functions now really as a collection mm. of experiences. Mm. It can be held together. It's not, you know, shattered all over the or, place anymore. Mm. Um, or maybe as, as a, to collect multiple questions. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Instead yeah. of the answers. Yeah, yeah. 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 The answers are the hero's journey in a way. Yeah. The answers are the attempts at, yeah. at uh, aligning with questions. Where the discovery comes from, the questions, not the answers. Yeah, 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 true, yeah. Shall we drop in the mass space? That's the mass space. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a lovely uh, um, aesthetic condition, a term that you and I have played with quite a lot mm-hmm. in the last year or two. Um, both of us drawing on uh, on an understanding from different, but aligned experiences of of the term in my experience in Japan and your your uh, um, ancestry and your lineage from China. Mm. The Ma. I remember um, I had the privilege of spending eight months living in Tokyo and studying Japanese forms of theater and performance. And I was 
always astounded and and fascinated by walking in the middle of Shinjuku or uh, or a very busy part of Tokyo and there were thousands of people around me and I would walk on the sidewalk and it would feel like I was the only person there sometimes yes there were thousands of people but no one was bumping into me no one was in my face energetically it just felt like I was I was I had all the space in the world mm. and you contrast that to somewhere like New York and where you you know constantly being bumped into and there's people in your face and shouting at you and your cars yeah. almost running over you. Yeah. And I came later on or more recently to understand that this was this idea of ma um, with Japan, which is a, this, this sense of space, empty space and stillness, both temporally and spatially. And it permeates throughout the, you know, the, throughout the culture in Japan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where silences in the West are very uncomfortable in conversations. Mm-hmm. But in in Japan, people will have silences in the middle of their conversations as a natural uh, part of the flow of conversation. No one would feel uncomfortable. In fact, they would probably feel uncomfortable if there weren't the silent spaces. When I was in Japan, um, you could say, okay, learning about the language and and, and being among Japanese people, uh, of course, uh, you learn fast, you you copy what you see in behavior and in speech. Um, And then the real experience happens when you know that you add uh, these last words as ne ga not you're ending the sentence not ending the sentence and actually making a bridge for the other to come the other person um, doesn't need to run over and come to you with an answer not at all not at all you can see the other person coming. So what I try to explain, and I'm not so sure whether you you know recognize the feeling is is holding the conversation and not filling it mm. with all these extra words and words that carry a meaning, making the other person nearly sword fighting all these words and stimuli coming towards you. Mm. Um, it's kind of like allowing the space yeah. to fill itself as opposed to filling the space. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the, ver- in the very beginning, I was quite young then, so in the very beginning I had no clue what I was doing, of course, in the language. <laughs> and... Um, um always very curious you know how people uh, use their voice uh, use the pace pick the right words or you know words um also at a certain point coming back to europe to the netherlands um appreciating this this stillness and and slowness in 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 speech mm. and i remember one time and this was in the crew um there were so many words and people express um that the silence is awkward but i did not feel it awkward so i want to say no it's not Let's keep it for a while. But I was there mm. alone. Mm. Didn't work. Um, made me cry. Mm. Yeah, too much. The, so, yeah, really, sometimes the, 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 the is it called the void? Mm-hmm. The place is mm. filled too quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Too, quick, too, too quickly 
and and with too many too many things too many yeah i think that's a, a just come back to theater for a moment the one thing that i noticed a difference between eastern traditions in theater particularly the sort of older ancient traditional ones japanese buto uh, japanese no the um kathakali in india um and and many others there's there are um moments of silence intentional in woven into a set of the performance whereas in the west often there's a lot of uh space filling western theater is about full the space as much as possible and that's often because the audience expects that because the audience is uh, is so used to being fed with with uh, lots of information bombarded constantly all the time on television types of music etc um and I, and i think in organizations as well this need to fill the space too quickly um and um is is like having to wanting to answer the questions wanting to have an answer and know where we're going all the time as opposed to having space and creating space for not knowing and being curious and as you say slowing down and allowing a a a kind of syrupy texture of mm, creative curiosity to start emerging which feels comfortable which is allowed which isn't interpreted as being unproductive mm-hmm. and and a waste of time um and in contrast to our time deadlines you know sometimes we need to slow down to go fast mm-hmm. and, especially that yeah yeah and yeah. this is a often a another opportunity for organizations to to embrace and certainly in their in the way that they develop their organizational culture you know that's I always question how do people start mm-hmm. a meeting how are they how are they connecting and and gathering gathering seeds and oats and roots and fruits to put into a carrier bag in other words how are they interacting collecting stories with each other that nurture and support the work that needs to be done but seeing that actually the creating space and time and opportunities for that more the softer the receptive the slower ways of working engaging connecting um without which the uh the arrow becomes brittle and perhaps doesn't shoot as far or or lands unintentionally in the wrong place if that analogy still works here <laughs> it does mm. <laughs> yeah it does and yeah. so f- and as as a facilitator that's certainly the the these are some of the aesthetic concepts and constructs um and principles that that i'm really interested in and and i know you are as well in uh, in growing finding a place for in uh, in organizational spaces yeah yeah if you look at more and more how mindfulness and self-awareness and these previously um seen as flighty capabilities are now becoming quite mainstream and it's clear that leaders need to have these these uh ongoing internal capabilities of being able to to be mindful and to be present and to be self-aware and to manage their own levels of stress and in order to do that so that they can support the similar things similar needs within the organization with the people that they lead and serve and and often and most of the time developing these capabilities requires a slowing down a pulling back um a sensitizing a going deeper becoming more receptive and listening and and I think this a growing awareness of the need for for more ma spaces of ma and slowness um are going to to become more and more valued and seen as necessary as opposed to misaligned with the agenda of getting things done on time and now and quickly and and uh and meeting the the bottom line objectives Yeah. I'm going to stay a little bit longer in my mass place. And before I do that, I'm going to thank you <laughs> for being with me. Yes, you can take the stroop bath. Applause. Now. <laughs> 
I hope you return quickly, quickly after this time. Uh, you go back to South Africa, back home. Yeah. But I, yeah, I wish we uh, we will see each other very soon again in the near near future. Amazing to meet you in person <laughs> after two, a year and a half, two years. <laughs>